Welcome to today's Hemp Errands podcast, everyone. I'm host Joy Beckerman and looking forward to delivering to you a great interview with Stephen Christensen of Canadian Greenfield Technologies and the Hemp Train, all about infrastructure and processing equipment when we talk about this versatile, valuable plant. I also wanted to share with you the fact that when we first legalized hemp cultivation post-prohibition, uh, post the 1970 Controlled Substances Act, it was legalized, as many of you know, in the 2014 Farm Bill under the Legitimacy of Industrial Hemp Research Amendment, which created these agricultural pilot programs and created a definition for industrial hemp for the first time in U.S. history, distinguishing it uh, from other forms of cannabis. And that uh, agricultural pilot program framework allowed states and institutions of higher education to promulgate their own rules as to how they would um, execute those programs. Now, in the 2018 Farm Bill, that's when hemp went beyond agricultural pilot programs or research and study and moved into full-on legalization as an agricultural commodity with total removal from the Controlled Substances Act. But additionally, with the 2018 Farm Bill, it also created the USDA to be A, the primary regulator for states, tribal territories, and US territories that didn't wish to be the primary regulator for their production, uh, domestic hemp production programs. But it also said that the USDA was going to create a regulatory framework and that states could have and tribes and territories could have more restrictive programs than the USDA's framework, but they could not have less restrictive programs. As we know from uh, the secretary, Purdue, of the USDA, the DEA, Drug Enforcement Administration, in its usual uh, overreaching, uh, bullyish fashion, really interfered with that process and, and created some rules within the United States Department of Agriculture's interim final rule for hemp. Uh, that are unfair, that are actually beyond unfair. They're scientifically so impossible to meet if one is growing particularly for hemp extract varieties that they are setting our farmers up for failure who are engaged in hemp extract growing. Uh, and that, of course, is farmers who are already uh, dealing with a major uptick in farm bankruptcies, no matter what crop they're dealing with, and also increased suicides, as we have discussed that very real and disturbing and concerning trend. So as a result, additionally, keep in mind, the provisions of the agricultural pilot programs from 2014 were slated by statute to end this month on October 31st, 2020. Well, due to massive outcry by not only stakeholders, but also multiple state departments of ag, multiple state and federal senators and congresspeople and legislators, uh, and the USDA itself, which easily recognized that those uh, rules were going to be very difficult to follow, pushed and a wonderful thing happened. When the Con Continuing Appropriations Act uh, passed, just recently, there was a little amendment in there, a, a miraculous and fantastic amendment in there that extended the 2014 Farm Bill or those agricultural pilot programs 
through September 30th, 2021, instead of October 31st, 2020. So all of the states that had not created a plan, such as New York, by the way, there were multiple large states that had not created a plan uh, under the new USDA, more rigorous and impossible uh, to meet guidelines for hemp extract farmers. So for those states and uh, and for others, this is really wonderful news. Also keep in mind that it will probably be extended again through November of 2021. It had to end in September 31st of 2021 because that's when uh, the jurisdiction for the Appropriations Act ends. That's actually in the middle of harvest for hemp. So we're going to have to extend it again, but it'll just probably go on to a month past now. So that's a really wonderful thing that has occurred at the U.S. Uh, congressional level. Level, uh, for farmers engaged in hemp production and for states that do not have that rigorous, difficult, and next to impossible to comply with uh, state plan. So very, very good, all of us working together with that, folks. Um, and with that, I'm very happy to deliver to you this interview with Stephen Christensen to learn about how we are processing uh, the long, strong hemp fiber and hemp stock. Everyone stay healthy, get that vote in the mail or at a, at a Dropbox ballot and have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week, everyone. Thanks again. Well, welcome to Hemp Baron, Stephen Christensen. It is wonderful to have you here. We're so excited to be able to talk about Canadian Greenfield Technologies today. Well, thank you, Joy, for having us. Some really exciting things. You were just issued a patent, but I, I want to know, first of all, because you're a chemist, an award-winning chemist uh, with lots of experience in product development and manufacture, and you have found yourself in the world of hemp. What was your journey into hemp? And maybe if you could also include for us Canadian Greenfield's journey into hemp. Yeah, so Canadian Greenfield Technologies has been around since 2002 and as part of a larger group since 1987 and really kind of got into uh, hemp because they were looking for a, uh, a better fiber reinforcement for concrete. Currently, they use plastic and glass and, and uh, Canadian Greenfield was looking for something a little bit better. Um, and so it quickly became apparent that they needed a chemist um, in, I guess, to develop a surface treatment. So myself and uh, Natalie McKenzie developed a, one of our engineers, uh, developed a surface treatment for the fiber that worked incredibly well. And now we have a very uh, popular product called Enforce Fiber, which is a replacement for glass and plastic fiber. And uh, it bonds chemically and physically, and it all but uh, completely eliminates um, plastic shrinkage cracking in concrete. So that's kind of how I got into it is was looking for a chemistry job and was hired for surface treatment. Can I ask you a quick question there? The surface treatment, because I know from working with hempcrete, my favorite hemp product of all the thousands of hemp product is hempcrete. It's the nearest and dearest to my heart. Um, and I know that that hemp cellulose as a natural fiber works very well in hempcrete because of its silicon silica content, which binds with lime. Right. Is that any portion of, of uh, the product that you've created, or is it that plus the surface treatment? Yeah, um, it's important to note that the fiber I'm talking about is bast fiber, actually. Uh, it goes into your regular Portland cement-based concrete. Basically, um, there is uh, 
a, a whole host of different, uh, I guess, standards that concrete is held to, um, ASTM and ACI standards. Um, and they, they are anything from compressive strength to flexural toughness to uh, lots of shrinkage cracking to uh, slump flow. There's a million different things, including um, uh, one of the kind of more important in northern climates, which is um, rapid chloride permeability, which just means salt getting through to the uh, rebar reinforcement and kind of breaking it down. Um, our fiber uh, treatment had to kind of take into account all of these testing and make sure uh, all these tests and make sure that it would be compliant with all of these or it couldn't be used in your regular Portland cement based concrete. So it is now in a form that gets thrown into a ready mix truck, the bag disintegrates, the fiber disperses completely and it goes into your your regular concrete, not hempcrete, but your, your Portland cement based concrete. So it's been in um, portions of the bobsled track for the 2022 Olympics in Beijing, uh, the uh, parts of the LRT line in Toronto, the new one, and then countless pools, skate parks, and decorative projects across North America. I am so thrilled that we are finally having this conversation, Stephen, because this is amazing to me. Of course, I know Canadian Greenfield as a producer of very important for the infrastructure and to increase the supply chain and to promote research and development and to allow the manufacturing of all the many products that we know can be made of this long, strong fiber. I have been associating Canadian Greenfield with the incredible processing and, and we're talking about hemp fiber processing equipment. And here I'm learning that Canadian Greenfield's roots are actually in not only improving the performance of Portland-based concrete, um, but as well as eliminating the need to put glass and plastic in concrete. That's what I'm hearing you say. Yeah, well, actually, I can I can kind of, I'll, I'll try to, to, just for your listeners as well, um, kind of give a, a better overview of Canadian Greenfield because, because I'm probably making it sound quite nebulous. So I mean, a couple of leading statements before I, I kind of get into that is that um, that we we want the North American hemp industry to succeed. Everybody does. And we feel that in order for that to happen, it uh, high value, large volume markets have to uh, have to use hemp and uh, and you have to find applications for the hemp in those markets. And in order to achieve that, we feel we need new processing manufacturing technologies to meet that need. So on the basis of those statements, uh, Canadian Greenfield was created and structured towards processing equipment uh, and manufacturing division, which is mainly focused on our patented hemp train technologies, as you know. Um, and currently there are seven unique machines connected into a full processing train. Uh, we have a product manufacturing division, which is responsible for the production of several product lines using our hemp train plant exclusively uh, that are all high value and high volume. And additionally, we continue to follow our business model of engineering and commercialization out of which has spawned that wildly successful enforced fiber reinforcement for concrete. But uh, in addition to that, there are additional modules for the hemp train. And recently, though I can't say much right now, uh, major technology relating to the fact that hemp is a known metal accumulator. Oh boy, and we know of research that's been going on, particularly on nickel, the uptake of nickel, and then seeing if we could get the nickel back out of the plant. What you just said is fascinating, and I cannot wait till you 
can tell us more. We're going to have you back again for certain on that. That's super exciting. Um, I, I am also realizing, thank you, Canadian Greenfield, which I already was walking in gratitude over all that the company is doing, but you are creating the market and then creating the machinery to fill that market so that farmers can succeed with what is arguably, and, and believe we're so grateful for cannabinoids and the hemp extract and all of those things. But as you know, um, I've been in hemp for decades now for somewhere around 30 years and I'm an oil seed and fiber gal. And I certainly see oil seed and fiber and particularly fiber as the true trillion dollar industries here. Um, that will reinvigorate North American farms from small to large and family and non-family and everything in between. So what um, a tremendous mission uh, that Canadian Greenfield has and is advancing that mission exponentially all the time. Um, could you tell us a little bit about the hemp train and particularly uh, anything you can share about your recently achieved patent, which we're so congratulatory. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is fantastic stuff that's happening. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to those unfamiliar with the hemp train, it's it's essentially a mini factory. It's, uh, it's, it's a series of machines of which decortication is just one of them. Uh, and it basically takes a bale of hemp straw, it be it round or square or uh, fresh green or dry. Um, the products you get out of it depend on what you put in. But if you were to take a standard uh, hemp bale, again, round or square, but dry material, you would get uh, you pass it through our baled straw opener that we designed, uh, specifically designed not to destroy hemp. So it opens as opposed to uh, any sort of um, destroying or breaking down or pulling or anything like that. Um, and then that feeds into decortication, which will, uh, you, you mentioned you'd like me to speak to our patents. Uh, all of this is pretty much covered under um under our, our Canadian patent with the, uh, the U.S. patent pending, and um, the same technology, but basically um, our completely proprietary technology will separate out the vast fiber in a non-destructive way, so we don't create the dust or or um, or really any of the broken down materials that that hammer mills or roller mills or or any of those type of um, mill technologies tend to do. Um, so whereas some of those technologies get 25, sometimes even 40% dust out of your feedstock, uh, Hamtrain will get 0% dust, essentially. It's it's far less than 1%. Um, really just new. Safer for workers, too. Very safer for workers yeah. without that. That's, that's a tremendous, that, that's a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and, and um, in fact, as an aside, we collect the dust as well in our, uh, it's basically a, a fairly advanced explosion mitigating dust collector so that any sort of, you know, it is still an agricultural dust and we kind of want to be like uh, ahead of the curve, I guess, as far as being protective. So, um, but the, the bass fiber comes out and as a result of not being damaged, it ends up being very long and structural. So it's six inches to three feet long, uh, unredded and, um, and, very clean, and so it's it's usable for um, structural applications. Um, if you want 
reproducible engineered properties, you can always align it and then cut it with a narrow size distribution, a lot like a haircut or something like that. They'll align your hair and then cut exactly uh, how long you want it. Um, that's all possible if you have long fiber um, as the stuff that comes out of the In addition to that, the remaining portions of the bale are separated into bast fiber and a green microfiber, or sorry, herd in a green microfiber. So we get three products out of dry material, bast fiber, herd, and green microfiber, uh, all as a result of using our technology. Can you tell me, green microfiber, some examples of things that are made with green uh, microfiber? Sure, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> that kind of leads into, uh, you know, what, what markets all these products are going for. We always hear uh, of the numerous applications of hemp or things you can make out of hemp, but um, we really feel that, you know, the high value, high quantity markets are the, the most viable for... Uh, certainly the U.S. and Canada, um, as we are, are uh, you know, subject to kind of the, the cheap imports, low labor costs of, of other countries. So um, for this kind of, for the North American market to succeed, you really need high value products and so, or into high value markets. So we don't actually create markets. We go after already existing multi-billion dollar markets traditionally use conventional materials uh, of lower value and performance, and we displace them with high-performance hemp products. Um, an example would be Enforce. Um, we entered the multi-billion dollar fiber reinforcement for concrete market, uh, replacing synthetic fiber and glass. Um, but other high-value, high-volume markets we've entered include uh, pet care and beauty products, uh, both of those. Um, there are green microfiber applications. Um, also, uh, food preservation, um, garden care. There's, there's a lot of different applications. I mean, we make a soil amendment with our green microfiber. Uh, with our herd, we make cat litter and pet bedding that is is very it's very different to what's out there already because of our process being so clean. Um, one of the steps on our hemp train system is actually to um, create herd uh, whole particles of whatever size you really want, uh, anything from two inches to an eighth of an inch. Um, and so our pet bedding is actually an eighth of an inch whole discrete herd particle that's super absorbent uh, and dust free and clean and, and much better for the animal health. So, uh, and wonderful for mulch. And I have a friend who has a farm and they use her, you know, hemp herd for their animal bedding and they put it on their compost pile and the compost pile doesn't smell. It's no, like amazing, yeah. it's incredible, you know? Um, and of course I know from, from extensive work training with hempcrete, doing hempcrete projects, we need a particular geometric particle range for a construction infill. You want it to be the same, you know, consistent throughout each product with a very minimal amount of chaff, which you are common right. dust we call chaffed obviously and 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 bass so um you know fantastic you're sitting there with a hemp train with the ability to create and serve these different markets um i wanted to ask you so that's on the dry hemp going into the hemp train where you're getting your bass your herd and your green microfibers how about on green hemp 
as opposed to dry hemp, so freshly harvested, let's say. Yeah. So, I mean, there's give and take for everything. And with that, you, um, you want to be able to process a lot of that material and quickly because it's just being harvested. It's baled for transportation, but it also will go bad. So you want to process it as fast as possible. Uh, the hemp train will take it from a bale. It will pass it through. Um, but instead of getting your bass fiber herd and green microfiber as your separation components, uh, because decortication traditionally takes advantage of the fact that herd is brittle and fiber is flexible. Um, the, what the hemp train does with fresh green material is actually separates out the smaller leaves, which are the bud leaves, from all longer material. So that's sugar leaves and up. Sugar leaves, fan leaves, and bass fiber and herd all together, I guess it retains a stock. Now you would only do that on the top portion of the plant as opposed to the whole portion, but um, save the whole portion and then process it dry for uh, additional materials. But the end result of this is that you get one stream that might be at uh, uh, the top of a hemp plant, it might be 25% but it has the vast majority, well over 75% of all available CBD in the plant. So you end up getting a concentrated feedstock for extraction. You'd still have to go through drying and extraction, but now you are um, you have a much smaller portion of material to dry. You have less herd, so you have less drying issues because herd, uh, as you know, is, is quite a pain because it has diffusion from surface into air, but also diffusion from center of the herd into the uh, surface of the herd. So it's a real pain to dry. And, uh, and then you're also be, you're taking a very concentrated feedstock and extracting from that as opposed to from ground up material. There's less trichome loss. And, uh, and, and what I try to kind of explain it as is, is, is this, um, grinding material up right now and extracting it as, as people do. Um, it's a lot like taking a coffee plant and just grinding that up and then having that as coffee, whereas what the hemp train is managing to accomplish is, is removing just the beans and then you're extracting just from that. So we're really talking about improving efficiency, uh, crop value, less labor involved. Uh, because you're not processing and, and harvesting and hanging and, and although we are still drying, as you say, but we're drying the desired portions of the plant if you happen to be in the hemp extract or hemp derived cannabinoid business, as opposed to these other more traditional ways of getting to those flowers. Yeah, and you can be a lot less, um, uh, you can agitate it a lot less, you can be a lot less damaging, and you need, um, it's not just uh, labor cost savings, it's its huge capital investment savings as well. Uh, those dryers and extraction all cost huge amounts. So you can either use, you know, a, a third of the capacity and get the same amount of CBD, or you can, you know, use the same capacity and get three times or or something of those of that order. Wow. In way yeah. increased value there. It makes uh, industrial hemp a lot more viable for extraction. Yes. And for listeners who, who aren't aware, um, 
when we talk about less agitated, as Stephen says, uh, the trichomes, it's not like the cannabinoids are somewhere hidden within inside of the leaf. These The trichomes are where, though the resinous portions of the plant are where the cannabinoids are, and they're on the outside, yeah. uh, essentially, of the plant. So if you harvest a plant, and you shake it around and put it in a combine and move it around all this, the, the trichomes are drying and they're falling off onto the field, into the equipment, um, as opposed to being uh, harvested and sequestered and extracted for, for their valuable purposes. So it's really uh, a win-win-win situation here with the green, with the green hemp. And then what would one do? And, and I realized, Folks, of course, have, and 30 years ago I did too, have these glorious ideas of these tri-uses of the plant. And God forbid we even talk about the, the root and those valuable triterpenes that aren't don't exist anywhere else in the plant that, you know, you could grow a hemp plant and you could use the cannabinoids and you can use the oil seed for industrial purposes or it's very valuable nutrient-dense properties. And then you could use uh, the stock for paper and textiles. That's not actually how it goes in real life. Of course, the fiber matures before the seeds. So these idea of being able to use dual and try crops, particularly in different climates, different photo periods, gets more challenging. And all of that research is underway. But we certainly do see the successful dual crop at minimum in more developed countries such as Holland. You may well know um, the, some folks there uh, where they are basically have a double cut combine, some of these, some of these folks in, in uh, Europe, and they're cutting the stalk off about eight inches off the ground with one cut, and then they're stripping the flowers off the top with the other. And even as I say stripping, we are talking about more agitation and damaging. It sounds much right. different than what, uh, than what the hemp train does. Um, so let's talk about what are the capabilities as of now, and I know you're constantly innovating, there's so much ingenuity um, going on at Greenfield, but for dual cropping, if we were to talk about the green um, harvesting. Right. So, I mean, however you want to do that, uh, I, I think the dual header combines is a little, it, while it might be okay for some groups, it's, you know, primarily this industry will be kind of pushed along by farmers, you know, and, and contracts and et cetera, et cetera. So uh, a dual head harvester is, is a little outside the range of a farmer who usually is, it, to be perfectly honest, and, and they should be, um, are probably just in hemp because it pays more than the next best crop, right? Yes. Um, so you want to <clears throat> make things easy uh, for, for farmers to get additional profits. So, um, so cutting the tops off um, is is what you would do for both CBD and seeds, right? Um, it really doesn't uh, like whichever is your market, uh, but that's external to to hemp train. The remainder of the plant can either be uh, left upright and and dry in the field and then cut down, or you can cut it down and leave it. But um, we we heavily encourage hemp train users to to not ret their material, to just basically bale it as soon as it's that 12 to 15, 20% moisture. Um, so there's no degradation in the bale. And then that's what you would put through a hemp train. Um, it's, it's plenty dry enough. So, um, so ideally, you 
would have farmers take that initial portion. Um, if they want to put the green material through hemp train, that's one thing. Uh, if somebody running a hemp train, there's, there's a million different business models, but they could always um, buy the remaining portion from the farmers um, and basically uh, process that through hemp train. So we, we buy hemp from a number of farmers in Western Canada uh, that are growing for seed. And basically they have bales and bales and bales and giant piles all over the place. And, and the U.S. will get there where they have eight years of past draw. And, uh, and we basically just pass that material for the hemp train and convert that into the very high value, high performance product. Um, you uh, answered, I mean, that's great. You take the top of the, when we're talking about harvesting green, take the top, either let it dry in the field or cut it and, and, and let it dry. And, and let's talk, could we talk um, just for a good little lesson for the listeners? We do talk about redding a lot to make sure folks understand what we're saying. Redding versus drying. Would you like to give a little 101 on that, mister? Sure. Yeah. I mean, without getting too much into it, redding is, is a rotting mechanism that, uh, that will loosen the interface between bast fiber and herd, but also between bast fiber and bast fiber. So um, you end up getting thinner, um, less, I, I guess, fibers with less strength and, uh, and it's great for textiles. Um, but that's, that's a difficult area to be in, um, in North America. Uh, you have the, the low labor cost question of external jurisdiction, but you also have the fact that we don't have, I mean, the U S is a little, little more to this than Canada, but, uh, we don't really have the seasons or the moisture levels that Europe does. So France is, far ahead of everyone as far as redding material goes. Um, and then they use that to process into, uh, into textiles. Our goal is mainly strength. Uh, we want that, that very high strength fiber from hemp, and therefore we don't want redded material in any way. Um, that being said, uh, if your bale is dense enough or large enough, um, hemp can last in the field and be Snowed on and rained on and everything. Uh, we've we've opened up eight-year-old, five-year-old bales, and it's perfectly golden and beautiful inside. It's just a small layer on the outside that is that gray uh, damaged redding. But redding is more towards textile uses as opposed to strength. That is really something. And when you say five or eight years, are these bales of hemp that were stored? indoors in any type of a controlled environment or outdoors uh not not indoors at all yeah outdoors completely i mean i just this plant is so the gift that keeps on giving i mean when you are sitting here studying this plant and all that it can do for as long as i have and constantly never ending learning 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 all the time i am really surprised by that and yet not um because of many of the properties within the plant. It's just that it's, you know, we try to stay away from miracle and magic. I don't like those words. They're not data-driven. They're not scientific, but wow. So after eight years, a bale sitting in a field has an outer layer of the more gray weathered, potentially yeah. affected, but inside golden and ready to be processed. 
Yeah, it, it depends a lot on how dense the bale is, how tightly it was baled, and how large it is, because you could have a very small bale and that would penetrate through. But uh, but no, you, you can clearly see even on a round bale that's uh, that's been out in the field for a long time, butted up against another one, you separate them and you'll see a ring of gray go to, to gold very easily. Yeah. It's just absolutely fascinating to me. And how about the oilseed, the grain crop? Hemp train do anything as relates to that portion? Uh, well, unfortunately, we're not as efficient as a combine, um, nor is high throughput. But uh, we do remove a, a significant portion of seeds, but that's primarily because we don't want them uh, contaminating the other streams. So you could always collect those and use those. Uh, you know, I, I'm not sure if it depends on when you harvested. Are they viable? Are they not? Or, or you know, et cetera, et cetera. But um, it's difficult to to have a uh, a product, a garden product, or something of that nature, and then have you know hemp plants growing in your in your strawberry patch or something like that. So it's nice to remove them from all streams uh, and just kind of leave it. So I guess we do separate out seeds as well but just I, I would I wouldn't suggest that as opposed to online. Green, um, Greenfield said, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There have been green combines going on very well doing the job for a long time. We're going whaling in these million other directions that hemp is offering us. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, Canada has been uh, like just kind of as an aside, but on the on the seed topic. Canada has been growing for seed since 1998, right? And 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 then that kind of rolls into into what we're trying to accomplish with our hemp train processing with these value added products because um, <clears throat> there have been you know attempts to turn straw into the usual commodity products using using mill technology like hammer or roller or or breaker or even I've I've seen some examples of that. Uh, uh, Schlichten? Schlichten. Yeah. A very, um, good, you know. a very good brother, uh, Don Wordshafter, um, who's really a pioneer of the hemp movement, wrote an entire book, the Schlichten Papers. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yes. No, it's, it's fascinating. But I mean, these things, it, it's, it's important to note that they've been around for more than 100 years and they were designed for absolute destruction of fiber so that you can get it into a, a mode for clothing, right? Um, you want it to be uh, comparable to to cotton um, or something of that kind of uh, staple length. Um, but this the you know these these markets have all been kind of countered by established cheap imports um, from from all over the place uh, where labor is a lot cheaper and and there's been trouble succeeding in this area, at least in Canada, for over 20 years. Um, we believe that the U.S. is probably going to face the same challenge. Uh, in fact, they already are. I mean, uh, Sunstrand had the same issue, right, um, for bankruptcy. Um, and so, you know, heroes, for all intents... Our Sunstrand heroes, but yes, challenging, obviously, yeah, in this emerging trying, markets. Trying to do those kind of commodity products is, is absolutely difficult for... for um, uh, countries that are are fortunate enough to you know to have the the high labor costs that we do, um, and and so, you know, it essentially makes businesses of that nature very difficult in North America, um, very difficult to to compete and and to to be sustainable. So, um, we feel that for like North America and and certainly I mean speaking through 
this venue to North American investors, um, you know, the shift to value add hemp products is really where North America can shine. Um, those kind of high value, high performance, you know, taking advantage of all these properties as opposed to trying to remove them from the plant, right? To try to force hemp into uh, into a different product as opposed to taking advantage of of what it is. And uh, hemp train is is I guess a uh, you know a, um, a step in the right direction. We feel. Absolutely, uh, it is creating solutions, creating those pathways. Uh, it's giving us the ability to create those markets and to serve those markets. It's really fascinating stuff. Um, how obviously I met you in, uh, although I, I think we did run into each other in Calgary at CHTA last year, but I met you in the United States. Yes. Um, so you're doing a fair amount of work here. How, how are things going with hemp train? Is it being received? Now, obviously, we have an issue in the United States, particularly in 2019, where there was an obsession with the million dollars per acre for hemp extract. We were waiting for the, the nail to you know, be closed on that, just in terms of for the poor farmers to realize, okay, I'm not going to make a million dollars or $100,000 an acre here. Um, so I know there's a lot of interest uh, in that respect, but in general, how are how are farmers being reactive to the hemp train here, and particularly for the fiber aspects? We just want to see so much more fiber being grown. Yeah, I mean the the fiber. I I really can only speak from it from our our I guess our point where um, you know it's very long, coarse, and strong. So it's a completely different product, and so therefore different markets. Um, and since there was no fiber, it's it's chicken and egg. There's no fiber, um, not just in in general, but certainly um, before we were able to produce it, there's no long structural fiber. Um, you know, enforced fiber is a good example of something you can do with structural fiber, but there's a large amount of interest and some offtake in the uh, in composites reinforcement, fiberglass replacement, some longer uh, staple. Uh, like wool, textiles, abrasion-resistant workwear, that type of stuff. So there is opening markets in that fiber area, but it's. I, I'm not sure if we'll, and it kind of speaks to what I was saying before, I don't know if we'll ever see huge um, integration of fiber into the, uh, you know, into the, there'll be some textile, but uh, I, I would like to see a lot more use of the fiber, and we'll do what we can at Canadian Greenfield and, and such, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's really something special with how strong it is and how there's really no, uh, other plant that has as strong a fiber and it's great to take advantage of those properties. Steven, I know that in the past there was an opportunity to participate remotely, uh, in sort of a hemp train tour. And now of course we have these challenges with COVID, but it would be so wonderful, uh, for folks around the world, particularly here in the United States, as we want to empower folks to be able to see the process. Are there going to be any more opportunities that video remote opportunities coming up? Yeah, actually, um, because of COVID, because of, of Americans not being able to come to her, uh, we're actually going to have a, a long video that's basically a single un, uncut uh, shot of, uh, of hemp train processing. I'll be, I'll be touring. Basically, it'll be a virtual tour that will show the entirety of the hemp train. 
uh, processing. It'll show the products coming out and everything will be in real time so that everybody can see all aspects and really be as transparent as possible uh, while kind of doing the best to emulate a tour um, without as much editing, I guess, as, as you generally see from, from these type of videos. Indeed, there seems to be, whether whether it's a, a bad angle um, or whether it's just really not trying to reveal the jewels or the goods of what folks consider to be their intellectual property, oftentimes uh, those videos are, are not as meaningful as we need them to be. So once again, thank you for that. We're going to be staying on the lookout. Um, I am on Canadian Greenfield's newsletter list, so I get the information and the announcements as they come out. Um, we're definitely going to have your links uh, on our website at mjbulls.com. But when folks get on the website, it, how do they sign up for the newsletter? Oh, um, it's kind of putting me on the spot. I think there's a contact us that has a form. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and you're absolutely right. That is exactly how it's done, sir. Fantastic. Now, I know that you mentioned there are things on the horizon that you can't speak too, too much about. Um, any other peaks under the hood or other things that you want to make sure uh, that our listeners know about Greenfield or anything coming down the road before we, before we say goodbye after our remaining time? Uh, no, I mean, I think I, I at least alluded to everything. Um, we're, we're a... We're not entirely small. We're about 12 people um, and always expanding, certainly now that we're in full production as well. So we uh, maybe I I don't know if I mentioned that previously, but we have an operating hemp train as well and uh, and are in full are somewhat full. We eight hours a day, five days a week, but we're producing huge amounts of, of bass fiber and herd and green microfiber and for the most part all of those streams are are uh, spoken for so there is there is market out there there is product now out there and and we are trying to i guess take advantage of but at the very least uh de-risk um the situation and and so that sounds dark when i say take advantage of i meant actually like you know grab the reins and and uh produce towards the you know benefit of the hemp market um we we have a bunch of stuff going behind the scenes as most people um know uh additions to the hemp train line uh different uh processing uh you know modules that will do different things um yeah, I can't really speak more to that other point that I had mentioned other than and what I had said. Um, yeah. Um. Well, it's just totally exciting. We're so glad that, and of course, you're continuing to innovate. And, you know, as we often say, build it and they will come. So thank you, Canadian Greenfield Technologies, for building it and they will come. This is really the chopping of the wood and the carrying of the water of building the infrastructure to deliver on the promise of the world's most versatile, valuable plant. And what a part you, Stephen Christensen, and the hemp train and Canadian Greenfield Technologies are playing. Folks, please go to mjbulls.com, get into Hemp Barons. You'll get to see all of uh, the links there uh, to get in touch with Canadian Greenfield. 
um, and some other information about Stephen and what the company has to offer. Stephen, I can't wait to have you back. It's just really exciting uh, to watch the innovation coming out of Greenfield and everything that you're doing, brother. Just sending you second and third winds beneath your hemp and wings. Well, thank you very much. And uh, we appreciate this and all the work that you guys are doing as well. Well, we'll have you back soon. Stay healthy out there. Thank you again, Stephen. Thanks. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.